Hello, everyone, and welcome. I am so pleased to have Chris Eisenberg as my guest today. Chris is a special education attorney dedicated to helping children with disabilities receive the educational services they deserve. He graduated from Georgetown University Law Center and has been a member of the State Bar of California for over 20 years. His previous legal experience includes practicing in the fields of entertainment and data protection and privacy. Chris's passion for special education law came about after the challenges he experienced when his now 16-year-old son was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. On most weekends, Chris can be found coaching soccer. He has been a youth soccer coach for over a decade and coached four different all-star teams with both of his daughters. Welcome, Chris, and thank you so much for joining me today to talk about the important work that you do. Thanks, Gilda. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, two things I'd point out. My son actually just turned 17. So oh, in case okay. He's listening, I did want to, yeah, that was actually last week. Yes. Well, we happy birthday. Today, thank you very happy much. Happy birthday. I will, <laughs> hopefully he'll be listening at some point and he can hear you say that. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I just, it, it's a, uh, um, uh, I'm happy to be a special education attorney. It, it's something that, it's, it's a very fulfilling job. It's also very frustrating and, and sometimes even a little bit frightening, but it is something that, that I do enjoy. And, and when, when I am able to help a family, it really is, it's a very fulfilling job. Well, on that note, to begin, can you please elaborate about why you chose to become a special education attorney. I would be more than happy to. So speaking of my son, uh, my oldest, when he was two years old, actually I believe it was right on his birthday when he was two, um, our pediatrician who we love, who we were still seeing, um, pointed out that she thought he might be on the spectrum, that he might uh, have autism uh, autism spectrum disorder. And that became a, a... that started a long journey, which we're still going through now, although things have gotten so much better. But in, that, in those first couple years, it was a real battle to understand what was going on, to understand what was going on with him, to understand the process, to understand how we would get services from, uh, from school. We were, uh, we're at LAUSD, Los Angeles Unified School District. And it really, I, I was an attorney before my son was born, so this was something I brought into um, that background I brought into uh, my journey with my son, but it was a real education and very frightening as well. So it took a while for me to circle back to it, but it was always something in the back of my mind as to what I wanted to do with my with my legal background. And I finally think that I found the, the best way in terms of my, being a lawyer, which is to be a special education attorney and to work with families and children that don't understand the process just like I didn't and maybe need even more help than I did. Uh, I would add also that when you get into this field, you find out that a lot of attorneys, a lot of advocates, a lot of people that are working in this field do have children or close relatives um, that do have a disability and that, that did, it was the inspiration for them to, to do this. Now, very true, very true. I mean, certainly it was my inspiration, my, my youngest son uh, also um, 
was the, the, the person who inspired me to create this podcast. So I completely understand uh, that comment and can relate to it very well. Um, now, in the pre-COVID world, because currently we are going through the pandemic, uh, would you tell us a little more about the state of special education law? I'd be happy to. I mean, I think in terms of, of where it was, I don't know that it will ever be the same. It's a very interesting nine months or ten months we've been through. But I think I would, I would liken it to some extent to uh, a claim that you would make uh, on your insurance company. And what happens when you do that, is, as many of you know, is that you'll put a claim in and many times the insurance company says no and many people just walk away, which is what the insurance company wants. But some people will stay and fight. I'm from New York, so I always stayed and fought. And that's when you end up getting the claim, uh, that they end up paying off in the claim. And I find that to be true here as well. And, and again, I'm at, I'm at LAUSD, so I can speak to that um, with a little more experience, is that a lot of times they're just going to say no, and it takes the parents who fight back, the, the parents who are willing to, to either uh, take it to the next level, whether it's um, just going to mediation or actually going to due process, that are going to get the services that their, their child needs. So I think, unfortunately, there's a real... Um, there's a tendency on the part of the schools to ignore the parents as long as the parents don't really know what's going on or how to take advantage of what their rights are as far as their kids. And it's the parents that learn to speak up that end up getting the services that they need. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of parents um, don't don't take advantage of it because they're intimidated by the schools or because they, they, they think that it's going to be too much money to hire an attorney. Um, and that's something that I believe very strongly in is an access to justice, so providing services for, um, for families that don't necessarily have the money to pay for that because I think to some extent that's what the school's counting on. And to me it's a real injustice that only – uh, you know, kids that are from well-off families can get the services that they need. Well, you know what, Chris, I'm with you 100% on that, too, because I have been there, and I know that that is usually the first thing that you hear is either no or we don't do it that way. And unless you are a particularly vociferous person, such as you and I, <laughs> or, um, my goodness, if English is not your first language and you don't speak it very well, you generally stop at the word no. The parents, and I've seen it happen myself, and, and I do so agree with you, and that is why I think it is so vital for people like you to come on this podcast and to let people know that there is help out there and there are, there are, question, there are answers to their questions and there are avenues that they can take to, to solve the concerns and the issues that they're dealing with. So I applaud you for that you. very strongly. Um, so now that we are dealing with this pandemic, what are some of the challenges that children and families who need special education have to face and how are special education attorneys such as yourself handling it? 
Well, as you know, I mean, most, most kids are, or not most, but, but particularly in Southern California, most kids are learning via distance learning. I've got three kids at LAUSD. All three of them are doing distance learning every day, which makes for a very crowded house. But in a way, it's nice having them here, but that, that's a whole other point. Um, <laughs> I think really what, what, what the problem is is that distance learning is a, is a second best, a third best, tenth best alternative for most kids. I mean, most kids in general education, much less special education. But I think there's a lot of children in special education where they're, they're, the services that they were being pro- provided are just gone. And they simply lack the capacity to sit in front of a screen for three or four hours or six hours and learn anything. So unlike, say, kids in gen ed who can sit in front of a screen and, well, maybe they're getting 50% of, they, of what they would have gotten or 70% of what they would have gotten. You've got kids who since last March, middle of last March, are getting nothing, are just getting absolutely zero out of it, which is incredibly frustrating for, for the children and the parents. So um, you've got a number of things there. They're not, getting, they're not getting educated, I think, is one of them. The other is that they're... Um, they're regressing. So not only are they not getting educated, but they're regressing back to a, a point where they were, you know, earlier in their educational process. Um, they're also acting out as a result. There's a lot of frustration, and and some of the kids just don't really understand what's going on. So so part of the process right now is trying to find some way uh, of of helping these children now. Um, even though there's this deadly virus, and believe me, I uh, I don't know if respect is the right word, but but the virus scares me, and I believe it's real, and I wear my mask, and we we you know go out as little as possible. When we do, it's for groceries and other essential items. So I mean, we very much respect what's going on and want to stay safe. But on the other hand, there's got to be a way to help these kids. And at some point, I, I think parents are, are making looking at the equation of, well, there's the risk of COVID, but what if my child regresses over a year? So what do I do? So, you know, we're looking at, is there, is there in-house you know, is there someone that come, can come to the parent's house um, to work with the child while they're doing the virtual learning? That's something that sometimes works, but a lot of times parents don't even want to have that um, anyone in the house, and, and I completely respect that. There are small cohorts or hubs that are being opened for children that they can go to. So, so when you've got special needs children, uh, you know, they're able to go to a school with a very small cohort with, you know, with, with uh, very strict requirements as far as wearing masks and small numbers of kids and, and keeping everything clean and disinfecting everything so that so the children are allowed to learn to some extent. I mean, I think that was one of the things that Governor, Governor Newsom did uh, last fall was to allow for these uh, waivers for certain schools to provide services to special education children. However, when things got worse again in, in mid-November and beyond, and certainly it's as bad right now, mid-January, as it's been the entire time, at least in Southern California, um, the schools have been closed again. So there's, there's nothing that can be done. One of the things I found particularly difficult are families that haven't had, uh, that aren't uh, special education eligible yet. 
So what happens is if you've got a child that, for whatever reason, hasn't been assessed yet, hasn't been uh, provided with special education services, they're really in the cold, unlike, say, a child who was eligible before the pandemic and is getting services, and, and they're on the radar. So these other children are not on the radar, and I've dealt with a number of families and have been able to help some of them. Others are still, the cases are still pending, but where I've, I've really gone after um, the schools and said, hey, look, this this child clearly has a disability and clearly needs to be taken care of, and you guys won't even assess her. She can't even get services because you're, she's not eligible yet. Um, and one thing that, that I think families should be aware of is there was a suspension of the assessment timelines, but that ended last July. So there was, in March of 2020, basically there was a state law passed in California which said that there's supposed to be a 60-day timeline uh, within which schools are supposed to assess children, uh, and if they don't, they're not in compliance, and they open themselves up to due process claims and everything else. And what happened was was that this was suspended. Now, it was not meant for schools to stop doing it, but that's what schools did. And they pretended as if the timeline lasted past July 1st, and I was able to, you know, in several cases, get children assessed and get them the services they need. Um, but schools are still trying to avoid that. And again, now that it's the, the virus has hit the second wave or, you know, it's gotten worse, uh, schools are doing that again. So these, these children that, that aren't even on the special education radar, they're not eligible yet, um, those are the ones I think that may, might be suffering the worst. What are some specific things then that parents can do themselves, whether or not they have an advocate or an attorney helping them? Uh, are we talking COVID or just in general? Well, both. I mean, we are, we are still in the pandemic, so perhaps some specific things they can do now to help their children, and also just in general, because hopefully, eventually, things will begin to normalize again. Sure. Well, let me, let me start with the general, kind of whether it's COVID or not. Um, I think one of the things parents can do, and it, it might be easier than it sounds, is to educate themselves on, on the concepts and the important concepts uh, in, in special education. So every, every child with a disability is entitled to what's called FAPE, a free and appropriate public education. So that, that's something that, 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 that's part of the jargon they need to be aware of. So they need to, they need to understand that, that this is a right their child has to receive this free, appropriate public education. And if their child isn't, especially if their child has a disability, then, that's, then they need to be, be able to advocate for their child uh, as best they can uh, in terms of getting that. There's, there's the IDEA, which is the federal law, which provides, which mandates that services should be provided to children. Um, and there's also a 504 plan, uh, and 504 is another federal law which basically mandates that, that uh, children with disabilities need to be treated the same as, as typical children. Um, and both of them are, are helpful in terms of getting, uh, getting their children the services they need. Now, there's a, um, there's a great blog called Wright's Law. A, uh, Pete Wright is one of the um, foundational attorneys who has been very important in terms of, uh, as a special education attorney, in terms of creating materials for families to use. So I would, I would definitely encourage families to go to Wright's Law, the Wright's Law um, website, and to check out information there. So if you're a parent that um, 
that's working with the school system or trying to work with the school system, you want to contact them, let them know your concerns about your child, and put everything in writing. So you need to, you need to, you know, make sure you're contacting special education director of your particular uh, school district and let them know your concerns about your child. Once they're put on notice, um, the, the school, if the school even suspects that a child might have a disability, they have an obligation to assess the child. Um, that's, it's called child find. That's an important concept to understand. And if the school doesn't do it, then they're not in compliance. And it gives the parents a, um, a, a legal basis for challenging what the school's doing. So that's very important. But it's important to, it's also important to every time you contact the school, even if it's a phone call, to then f- memorialize that, follow up with a written document to the school, uh, covering your conversation, put everything in writing, because if it does get to litigation at a later date, you want to be able to produce all this, that you have had these conversations with the school, uh, that you have made them aware of what your child's going through. Um, in regards to to COVID, particularly uh, if your child is already um, eligible or, or already has special education services, you need to take the role uh, of kind of like an aid to your, to your child as well. So you need to, to track and write down what your child's going through, what the services that they're receiving are, what the services that they aren't receiving are. Um, you need to track any possible regression. Uh, if there are specific goals that are in the IEP, and I'm assuming everyone knows what, it, what, a, what an IEP is, individualized education plan uh, for your child, um, one of the things the IEP will have is goals that are stated for your child. So if you can, test your child in those goals. If you, can, if you have a, um, a smartphone, film your child trying to, uh, you know, doing these goals. Um, Mark it down, make a graph, and and keep track of where your child is and where they're going. One of the things that I think an awful lot of kids are going to be eligible for, a a lot of kids with disabilities, is what's called compensatory education or comp ed. So if you can provide a record of where your child was in let, let's say starting last March, but even starting right now in January of 2021 and where they are when you get back to school and, and where they are in their goals, if they're regressing on the goals or even if they've made zero progress on the goals, um, that's going to be strong evidence that your child needs comp ed. And what comp ed will be is additional educational support provided for your child um, once you get back to school. So um, it's really, it's, it's what you want to do as a parent, I think, is to keep track of what's going on with your child. Um, I know that can be very difficult with everything going on. It's a very stressful time, and I, I respect that and I understand that. But to the extent that you can uh, keep track of where your child is and how they're doing um, and advocate for your child in that way, it's going to be very helpful when you get to um, when you get back to school and you can provide this information at an IEP, um, whether it's a scheduled IEP or whether your child's getting assessed for their initial IEP. Those are all very good suggestions, Chris, and and very, very good things to know about. What do you see as some of the long-term fixes needed for special education services? Well, like I said before, I think there's a there's a tendency on school districts to ignore the problem until it's shoved in their face for each child, unfortunately. So, you know, what I would like to see, there's a number of things. I'd like to see uh, more collaboration between the school district and the parents, that the school district is more actively uh, 
taking their child find obligation seriously, that they're really looking for children who need help rather than waiting for the parents to bang on their door for that. So, so the co- collaboration, I, and, and towards that end, I'd like to see better communication between the schools and the parents. The parents don't know this information. I mean, a lot of times I will have parents call me up because uh, I do a free consult, and I'll spend a half hour explaining basic concepts like FAPE and Child Find and LRE, which is Least Restrictive Environment, which is the idea that each child with a disability should be in the, least rest- the, the, the environment that's closest to a general education classroom, the least restrictive. There's a continuum. So parents are armed with this information a lot of times. They'll just say thank you and go off on their way and, and go do their thing, which is great. It would be great if... if, if schools communicated more with parents and and taught them all these concepts rather than have either you know nonprofits that will reach out to parents that that teach this and uh, you know teach it to parents or attorneys or advocates or something like that because a lot of times a parent would doesn't even know that they need it. So it's, it's you know, you don't know what you don't know, unfortunately. But if this were to be something where, where schools really made an effort to communicate with parents and let them know that, hey, if your child has a problem, this might, it might be an issue. They might have a disability. They might have a deficit in regards to their uh, education. And we want to help you rather than playing hide the ball and, and hiding behind all this jargon, um, which I think is something, is something that they do. Another thing I'd like to see towards, towards that end um, is greater education of teachers and staff to understand, to help look for um, children with disabilities, children who might need um, something like that, so, you know, some help. Or something, and not only that, but how to work with children with disabilities. One of the one of the complaints I often hear is that teachers simply don't know how to work with a child with a disability, um, and and they don't they don't have the education, and they just keep doing what they're normally doing, which might work fine for for general education children, but it doesn't work uh, for the kids with a disability, and and there's no education being provided to them, um, you know, in order to uh, better assist them in working with these kids. And I'd love to see that education incentivized so that, so that teachers gain something from doing it. Not that teachers wouldn't do it anyway. Listen, I love my kids' teachers. They're, they're fabulous people, and they are, they are doing a low-paying job to, to help people. I mean, you, you talked about what I'm doing is good, and I think what teachers do is fabulous. So I, I'm not meaning to, to beat up on teachers, but I think they have a tough job and make very little money. And, and to the extent that if a, if a teacher is willing to learn how to work with children with all sorts of different disabilities, whether it's children you know, that, that are on the spectrum or children that are, that are, are deaf or blind or are using devices to communicate, um, that Maybe they get a bump in pay or something like that. But, but I think the, the concept of, of educating teachers to work with uh, children with disabilities is a really important one because, again, we want, to, um, we want to be as inclusive as possible in terms of children with disabilities being part of a gen ed class, and that's going to be much easier if the teachers understand how to work with, with uh, kids um, who have disabilities. Is there anything that we have not touched upon yet that you feel is particularly important to mention? I've talked a lot, haven't I? Uh, yeah, I, I would. <laughs> I would. I would. Yeah. One other thing I would talk about. I. I, I think that there are great advocates and great attorneys out there who help parents 
very much. But I want parents to know it is something they can do on their own. If they don't, whether it's whether it's a cost issue or whether it's, and again, uh, you know, there's a lot of attorneys who will work pro bono. Um, but I think that for whatever reason, if a parent doesn't want to do that, there's a lot they can do. They can be their their child's advocate and they can fight for their child's rights themselves. And the schools will listen if they make the effort. So if they, whether it's whether it's the initial assessment. Uh, and, and getting that in the, the initial assessments and getting the initial IEP so their child is eligible and gets services. But if they're not getting the services, if their children are not getting the services that they need, that they, they can file the due process complaint on their own. There's a lot of good information out there. A lot of parents do do it, do represent themselves. And it is expected. Uh, I've heard, um, you know, one suggestion uh, that I've heard, which is a very interesting one, is that the IDEA Act, which was created to provide rights for children, uh, uh, children with disabilities, uh, I've heard people a lot smarter than I am uh, suggest that that law was created to make parents the attorneys general of their children and of the schools. So what it is, what's, what's the IDEA is doing is allowing parents to go after the schools to say, hey, my child's not getting the services they deserve. And once you, once you show that you're going to fight for your child's rights, once you become that squeaky wheel, um, a lot of times you're going to get the attention and you're going to be able to be able to get the services that you need. And, and if not, and if it's a particularly recalcitrant school and they're really fighting hard, you can always bring in this lots of special ed attorneys that would love to help you. So I would just, I would encourage parents to, to never give up fighting for their kids' rights. And it's always something they can do it on their own or they can do it with help. And there's, there's a lot of great organizations out there, whether statewide or whether nationwide, um, that are willing to help parents. So I would, I, would, I would encourage that. And, of course, again, the one, one other thing I'd mention is we go back to you don't know what you don't know. The people listening to this are probably already tuned into that. And maybe they need some specific guidance in a specific situation. But I'd love to be able to reach out to the parents that are just sitting there saying, oh, you know, my son has his disability and I just don't know what to do. You know, and those are the people I'd love to reach and say, you know, there's, there's so much out there. There's, there's so many great organizations of people that, that want to help you and want to help your child. So how can people reach you, Chris, if they have questions or if they want to know more? Um, I'm more than happy to provide, I'll provide my email and my website. Uh, so the email is chris, C-H-R-I-S, at chris Eisenberg, no spaces, and the last name is E-I-S-E-N-B-E-R-G, law, L-A-W, dot com. So that's chris at chriseisenberglaw.com, and the website is fairly uh is pretty similar, so so hopefully that'll be easy. It's www.chriseisenberglaw.com. Uh, and if you email me, I'm always available. If you go to the website, uh, my phone number's on the website. There's also a form that f- to fill out uh, to contact me, and I will get back to you within a day. And again, um, I would urge people who, who think they don't have enough money, I do, I'm a real firm believer in access to justice. Um, I do have several pro bono cases I'm working on right now and will continue to do so uh, because I want to I help all the, I want to be able to help all the kids that are out there and I don't think that justice should just be there for the people that can afford it. Well said, Chris, and thank you so much for what you do, 
for your time and for giving us some terrific tips and information today. Well, thanks, Gilda. Thanks for having me. Um, this is a, like, as I said in the beginning, this is a very fulfilling career for me, and it's something that I, that I really enjoy doing, uh, despite the, the frustrations every day. Um, at the end of the day, you know, I have a parent or a child say to mostly parents, except unless they're older kids, but parents say to me how happy they are that they met me and working with me, and um, that can make my week. So... Um, so thank you for that, and it is, it's, it's something I'm, I, I feel lucky to be able to do, frankly. I also want to thank our listeners for spending a part of their day with us. I'm Gilda Evans, reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life. <laughs>